we recognize that Christ is trustworthy and as we recognize that, that he holds us in his hands, we are willing to release and allow him to move us and change us and direct us. But part of obeying God and part of coming into that place of allowing God to move us comes from our perception of who God is. We either sometimes have this perception that God is rigid and distant and so we need to work our way into his presence or work our way into his notice or we come with this understanding that God is active and loving and present and real with us. So this morning I want us to consider that God is active and alive and real and that in the presence of God he calls us to trust Something that doesn't come easily, but something that as we give ourselves to God and as we allow him to change us, we find ourselves not having to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps, but finding ourselves being, being made in the image of Christ as he does the work. Well, part of that involves... Um, oh, I'm supposed, to, I'm supposed to do the infomercials as well. Look in your bulletin. There's great stuff in there. And when you see Bill Turner today, uh, I was trying to find him. He's not here because he's getting his strength because we're having a party for him this afternoon. Because Bill Turner is uh, having a birthday tomorrow and he's, uh, he's starting all over again. The odometer goes back to zero because he's turning 100 tomorrow. Yeah. So you know Bill, he's the sharp as a tack, really handsome 100-year-old guy. So when you, if you see him, wish him happy birthday. God does amazing things in people's lives. Extraordinary things, unimaginable things. Things that capture our imagination and take us to places we never thought possible with God. And there's a mistake in your bulletin. You see, because in the bulletin, I, I was trying to just off the top of my brain put some words down for Mark and Catherine. And I said 10 years, when in reality it should be 30 years. So I want to invite Mark up. Come on up, Mark. And uh, uh, the reason I've asked, Mark was available to come to us this weekend, which is just awesome. And, um, and he's going to be around for the next few days. He's going to be here tomorrow and Tuesday. So if you want to have coffee or lunch or even breakfast with Mark, then arrange a time and invite him out. And he's got more stories than you can shake a stick at to talk to you about what God is doing in places of the world that we can only read about in National Geographic, and, uh, and even in Vancouver. So it's awesome, awesome stuff. And he's going to be with the young adults on Tuesday night. So uh, young adults, if you were thinking of skipping Bible study and, and you know, watching hockey, then forget that. Come out to the Bible study. And Wednesday, for those who are free during the day, we're having a potluck lunch, and Mark will be sharing at that on Wednesday. So bring your pot and, and come on out, and uh, we'll have a great time on Wednesday. So that's the infomercial about Mark. So uh, it's, it's going to be great. Mark has been a missionary with the fellowship for many, many years. And uh, in that course of obedience and trusting God with his life, he has recognized a few critical things on the character of God and how God moves and directs, particularly as, as he reflects on his own testimony. So I've, got, I've prepared some questions which I always forget to ask. But anyway, we're going to ask these ones because these are the ones that Mark's prepared to answer. So, Mark. He can answer whatever he wants, right? I don't, 
you know, I just sort of ask the questions. Tell us briefly what you are doing as a missionary to Africa in Vancouver. All right. Good morning. Thank you, everyone. Um, before I say too much, I think there's some slides that might, might be there. I want to... My better half is in Vancouver, and that's our son that graduated. He's taller and stronger and bigger than me, and he's gone to Australia. But um, we want to send our greetings. The next slide. Um, that's our daughter, April, and her son, our first grandson, Austin. And then the last picture here. Just I do want to, right at the outset, to say thank you so much. Many of you have come up and greeted me and just made me feel very welcome. And thank you for standing with us. So what are we doing in Vancouver? And, well, there it is. We were 30 years in Africa. And through a series of, you know, God just using the, the mission, using family circumstances, directing us, we felt, for some time, that we need to be back in Vancouver. I'll just give you a couple stats, because the nations are coming to Vancouver. It doesn't look quite the same here, but in our church that we go to, there's 50 different nationalities represented. And if you take the next slide, that's Vancouver, Surrey. 2% of Vancouver's population typically is in church on a Sunday morning. And in the last six months... I have had conversations with people from 40, over 40 different nations just in Vancouver. And there's the very real sense that, I mean, Richmond has all Chinese signs and Surrey has many Indian Punjabi signs. There are over 200,000 Sikhs in the Lower Mainland, virtually untouched. So we have these ethnic enclaves that will become almost unreached people groups in our own country, just not far from here. And I just, I'm kind of changing the script here a little bit. I changed the question, so go ahead. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> a few weeks ago, a month ago, Catherine and I went out on our date night, and we went, and I was standing in front of a Christian bookstore, and there was a young man out there, and we, we started talking to him, and he had lost his directions. He had been in Canada for two days. He was from Saudi. He's a Shia Muslim. And we suggested... I said, well, can we help you find your way back to your homestay? So he comes into the Christian bookstore, and I'm trying to draw him a map, and he finally says, I need a cab. So in the midst of it, he's looking around all these books, and he said to the owner, he said, do you have a book on you know, how to make money and business? And I said, well, you are a follower of Muhammad? He said, yes. I said, well, I'm a follower of Jesus. And all these books are about walking with Jesus and our relationship. So he goes, Esau? I said, yeah. His first question to me, well, what do... Christians believe about Esau. I mean, just a wide open question. We've gone out for meals, we've continued, and, and one day, about a, a month ago, I said, let's go out for Tim Hortons. So I go to the home he's staying at. I didn't realize it, but it was the celebration of the Prophet Muhammad's birthday. So I walk up the steps, there's at least 40 pairs of shoes outside. I walk in, and there are a dozen Muhammads about six Ali's and four or five Husseins. And there's a huge hookah pipe in the middle, and guys are smoking, and they're cooking on these big pots, and they've got three or four computers open with Islamic websites reading um, because they're going to have this ceremony. And I'm just, I'm just there. 
And after a while, guys, they had whole gowns, uh, like robes, and they had hats. And they said to my friend, they said, what's he doing here? Is he a Muslim? He goes, oh, no, he's a follower of Jesus. But, I mean, I'm just Mark, and I just met a guy by a Christian bookstore and went out for a meal, and I end up in this situation. And God is so good. He just leads us and directs. Is this in the middle of Vancouver? All these Shia Muslims. And you just have the opportunity to say, this is who I am. I'm learning Punjabi from the head priest at the Sikh temple. Because I went in and got to know him and said, can you teach us some Punjabis? We've got 200,000 Sikhs in our neighborhood. So he's given me Punjabi lessons. That's kind of like what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Just kind of walking along, seeing where the Lord's going to take you and yeah. having a blast. <laughs> yeah, and that, that is. And this transition uh, is, is part of your ministry from Africa, right? I mean, that experience has led you to this experience. Yeah, because the dem- demographics of Vancouver and many of our cities have changed. And a lot of our churches, our fellowship churches as well, I mean, we haven't adjusted to that change particularly, and maybe we felt threatened But folks, people from other cultures love to talk about spiritual things. It's way easier for me to talk to a Sikh or to a Muslim about his worldview and his faith and his walk than it is to talk to a typical Caucasian Vancouverite. Mm -hmm. So we're here for the family needs. We're here for, we feel like this, we just want to be here. My kids say that I like restaurant evangelism because Mm -hmm. I I end up going into these cultural restaurants and being asked to pray with the people in the back kitchen. So I'm having a good time. Yeah. And and we've been able, we've had the privilege of partnering with you. We've had some money set aside in our missions budget that we were able to forward to you for the purchasing of resources. And that's been a great opportunity for us. And thank you for that opportunity for us. And uh, maybe you've got another story or more pictures that you'd like to... Um, What's the next? Well, this is just... This is Canada in 30 years. Increase in Muslims, 225%. Sikhs, 136. Buddhists, 70. Hindus, 150. Canada's changing. You may not notice it, but all you have to do is go to Metrotown in Vancouver or walk on Fraser Street, and you will see the nations have come. And some people are threatened by it. I'm excited by it. Because, I mean, I read this quote that said, just when it was getting really expensive to send missionaries to all over the world, God has brought all the nations to Vancouver and to Canada at their own expense. Yeah. And all we have to do is walk out and engage with them. So we are at a wonderful time. And these folks, you know, they're, they're out from underneath their religious, cultural values. They're open. They want to talk. And this is the future of Canada. And this, these folks... Just think of what the impact that they can have on the world when they get to know the Lord and they go back. Mm-hmm. So, I think that's all. Yeah, wow, that's <laughs> exciting. You get them wound up, you've got to take them out for coffee. So, we're going to pray for Mark and Catherine and their ministry. And uh, look at your schedule and, and take them out tomorrow or Tuesday and just get to know more of his heart or join his team. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm doing the infomercial here, so he's... Oh, they shut me down there? Oh, uh, uh, so they're looking for, uh, you know, prayer supporters, people to, to grab alongside, pray for them. If you want to become part of their financial support team, you know, talk to them about that as well. But join in. 
with the adventure that God is doing in Vancouver. And, uh, and Mark and Catherine are getting to be a part of that. So let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for the way that you lead our lives and the way that you've directed Mark and Catherine and, and their family. And, and uh, while they have gone through uh, some dark valleys, uh, they've also seen your hand present in their lives at all those instances. And God, you're now leading them to Vancouver. And you're leading people from around the world to Vancouver. And somehow in this uh, convergence of leading, your grace will be demonstrated and people who would never have heard the gospel will hear the gospel. And families who had never experienced your love will experience your love. And somehow we here in Parksville across the seas are going to be able to have a part of this. Uh, and, And we just thank you for the way that you bring all this about and how you work so graciously to allow us to, um, to see lives changed. We ask you to be with Mark uh, the next few days as he's with us, and uh, raise up people who will stand with him in the, the calling that you have provided. So we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And if you want to come to Vancouver for a mini exciting missions trip and out for a good meal, we'd love to have you. Awesome. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Restaurant evangelism, I like that. Yeah, yeah, that's great. We're talking about how discipleship is displayed. And how is it that God begins to call us into places of trust and obedience so as to, to live for Him wherever He directs? Dietrich Bonhoeffer calls it the cost of discipleship. Richard Foster calls it streams of living water. C.S. Lewis calls it mere Christianity. N.T. Wright calls it simply Christianity. Leonard Sweet calls it soul salsa. And in all of these readings and in others that I've engaged, there seems to be the presentation that faith with God is an organic experience. And yes, there's the disciplines of coming to his, into his presence and allowing him to speak to us systematically and concretely, but it's more than that. It's more than following the right tasks. It's more than checking off things on our things-to-do list and coming to the end of our day and saying, well, we've done all that, now I'm ready to go. Because it seems that whenever we do these things-to-do lists, when it comes to God, we come to the end of it and re- we realize that we've only purchased eight eggs and we have to go back. Or the milk that we purchased is now stale and, and we have to do something about it. Jesus refers to this in a story that he told his disciples that's recorded for us in Luke chapter 18. He talks about two men who went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And the Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God... I thank you that I am not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or, take for instance, this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that God, that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. 
In this story, there's some presuppositions that are presented to us that reflect the mindset as well as those that the book of Romans was written to. The presuppositions were these. Here were two Jewish people who coming to the temple needed to perform the same rituals in order to get before the presence of God to pray. Both of them had to bathe ritualistically. Both of them had to dress the right way. Both of them had to go up the same stairs. Both of them had to come into the courtyard. Both of them had to cover their heads in order to come to the presence of God and pray. All of the mechanics were the same. And yet their hearts were so different. And in the book of Romans, we have for us the outline that that the, the people of God knew the mechanics that God had instigated in how to come to God, but with that, had lost the heartbeat of God. The Bible is more than just an instruction manual. It's a letter from, from God that gives His heartbeat, that allows us to engage with Him. His heartbeat becoming ours. And when we look at Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 12, we have for us an invitation into a conversation. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your bodies to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under law, but under grace. At times when we come to this passage, it is tempting to look at it as a giant scale. And we say, Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your bodies to sin as instruments of wickedness. But rather, offer yourselves to God. Offer parts of your body to Him as instruments of righteousness. You are not under law but under grace. Sin will not be your master. And we think by somehow using this scale system that we can outweigh one urge with another. But this passage is not talking about a checklist of do's and don'ts. Rather, it speaks of a sensitivity, almost as if it were a barometer, speaking to the sensitivity of our souls with the heartbeat of God. Are we being sensitive to what God has in store for us? Well, where was something like this introduced And how do we find this theme presented through Scripture? Well, Jesus, when he began his ministry, and those who collected his sermons identified it as sermons on the mount, or sermons along the way, or sermons on the pasture, or sermons with groups of people as they were making their way and wondering what to do with life. And as these sermons were collected in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus introduces to us the confronting realization that culture is not as you expect it, but as it's being created with God working in you. He begins the passage in in Matthew chapter 5 by this, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who who are persecuted because of righteousness. Blessed are you when people insult you. 
He takes all of the, the labels and conditions that society had said, these are the marginalized, these are the ones who are being punished by God, these are the ones who are being alienated for their faith, and he takes these and he calls them blessed. He said, these truly are the ones who are being embraced by God. These are the ones who have a sense of God's presence. These are the ones who are being enveloped with the love of God. And the people hearing this began to scratch their head and saying, but that doesn't make sense. And then he goes on and he says, you need to infiltrate your world as salt and light. You need to be in places where where the world understands who you are. You need to, he goes on in in chapter 5, look at the options. In chapter 5, verse 17, it begins a passage where it says you have two options. You can live better than the Pharisees or you can live obedient to Christ. He goes on and says, check your attitudes. Check your thinking. Check your commitments. Check your integrity. Check your justice system. Check your love actions. Because everything that you have been able to accumulate in response to the cultural norms are no longer valid. Love your neighbor as yourself? Sure, that makes sense. But love your enemies? Ooh. Pray for those who persecute you? Hmm. Where your treasure is, there's your heart. And suddenly, Jesus introduces the opportunity for a conversation on grace. And that's where Romans 6 takes us. As Paul begins again to outline for us this opportunity to be embraced by the grace of God. In chapter 5, we have recorded for us what the cross was accomplished, or what, what was accomplished in the cross through Jesus Christ. In verse 1, it says, Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. In verse 12, he says, Just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all have sinned. Then in 17, he says, For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? And then in 19, we see, For just as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. And we see the work of Christ. You see, sometimes people will will muster up the courage or muster up the ability or muster up what they think is the strength to follow the rules in order for them to get into, into some kind of allegiance with God. But Paul addresses that. He says in chapter 5, verse 6, You see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Some might think, very rarely will anyone die for the righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. 
There are occasions possibly when we might muster up the strength in order to die for someone as an act of, of self-giving. But God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We weren't even on the page. We weren't even in the same sandbox. And Christ died for us. It's, it's just a marvelous expression of those wonderful words where Jesus said, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Paul talks about it this way in Ephesians chapter 3. Beginning in verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. God's love is so high, so long, so high, uh, wide and deep that it becomes something immeasurable, something so abundant, something so life-changing that it grabs our heart and will never let go. So the question, have you opened your heart to Christ today. Paul, when talking to the Romans, gives them the character of Jesus Christ. Christ is trustworthy. He tells them the act of Jesus Christ, that Christ came to die on the cross, that we might have life with God. And then he says this in chapter 10, but if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It's not following the over 600 ceremonial laws. It's not dressing the right way. It's not eating the right food. It's not even parting your hair on the left. But that if we confess with our mouths Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And what does Jesus say? Come. Sometimes we have this feeling that we have to get ourselves squared away with God before God can, can get a hold of us. We have to make ourselves presentable. We have to make ourselves right. We have to somehow increase our availability for God. Thinking that somehow God is distant and that, and that unless we make ourselves right and come to Him, God will simply turn His back on us and walk away. But Jesus has come. Come unto me, enter into relation, lean on me, and not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge me, and I will direct your path. And so this dialogue of grace in Romans chapter 6 is a dialogue that allows us to realize that it's not a series of tasks that make us presentable to God. Rather, it's a heart of openness that allows us then to modulate how we are doing and what we are doing and how we are living in response to His call in our life because 
God is calling. God is calling each and every one of us. He calls us into relationship, come. And He calls us into relationship, go. Go into all the world. Parts of your world that need to be touched and embraced with the love of God. The parts that you find incredibly challenging to relinquish over to Him, to, to realize that He is bigger than our, than our challenges and can help us and do it. Trust. Do not let sin reign in our bodies. Trust. To offer our bodies as instruments of righteousness. Paul goes on and describes for us what that means in Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4 beginning in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Situations will come into your life. Circumstances will avail themselves against you where you need to rejoice. God, I don't understand this situation. I don't understand this challenge. I don't understand this hurdle. But Lord, I am beginning to understand you. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Growing up in a Mennonite church, we were told that our actions would indicate to people that we were followers of Jesus. But I soon realized that my neighbor was as gentle as me, maybe even more. And he was a JW. We need to not only be gentle, we need to not only allow our actions of love to, to be demonstrated to those around us, but we need to also speak. Speak the love that God has for us to those around them. It's quite likely that I will never be able to argue somebody into the kingdom of God whose heart is so committed against receiving the grace that God has for them. But I can demonstrate to them the character of God. When it's revealed to us, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Yes, I've been anxious. Yes, I've been fearful. Yes, I've been confused. But I bring these to God, and a peace which is beyond understanding comes. And that's your story. And then Paul says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. The person and presence of Jesus Christ changing our hearts and our lives, thinking about these, but that is counterintuitive living. It's Sermon on the Mount living. It's grace-filled living. It's opportunity living. So let me ask some questions again. Where will this take you? For those of us who have followed God for many years, we come to that place of realizing that, that 
when we come to the Word of God on a regular basis, when we come and allow the Spirit of God to speak to us through His Word, when we see it as an opportunity to allow the heartbeat of God to beat in our heartbeat, we come to the realization that, he, that God calls us and directs us into areas of trust with Him that we would never have embraced on our own strength. We realize that those relationships around us which seem fractured and fragile and, and, and at odds with each other can be healed with the presence and person of Jesus Christ. Is God big enough? Those whom, as the poet says, we love the least are those whom Christ has died for the most. The ones we find challenging to engage are dearly loved and called by name by Christ. As I prepared for this for today, my prayer was that, that God would capture our hearts with the names of people we find challenging to love. And then enable us through his grace and strength to love them. All of us recognize at times that, that if we are to follow our faith, if we are to live by the way that God wants us to live as light and as salt, as those who bless rather than those who curse, as those who, who come with a word of healing rather, and hope rather than a word of hopelessness and condemnation. When he calls us to live like this, he brings us into the lives of people that at first we may never consider engaging. And yet these are the ones that God wants us to embrace. In-laws, outlaws. The ones that God has called us to love. So where will this take you? When we use the resources that God has given us for the unimaginable things that God has in store, lives are changed for eternity. Paul describes it this way in 2 Corinthians. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. We are a new creation in Christ. Our relationship with God is active and alive and vibrant and real. It is changing us. It is transforming us. It is renewing us. In our relationship with Christ as new creation, we become the creative expression of God's creativity. We look into the mirror of our soul and we recognize that apart from God, we would be ugly. And it's God's work within us that makes it possible for us to love other people. The active, ongoing work of God making His image of Christ in us alive and vibrant as we come to His Word, as we allow the Spirit of God to move within us, as we allow ourselves to, to recognize that it is by His strength and His strength alone that we engage in the activities and the adventures that come our way. And we become active in the world around us knowing that God is already there. For God so loved the world. God doesn't show up the minute you show up. God's already been there. And we have the privilege at times to walk into a situation, to walk into a life, to walk into a conversation and simply point out where God is already moving.
So where will this take you? For some, it may be bringing restoration and reconciliation to a relationship that has been shattered. For some, it may be presenting the possibility of engaging a conversation with friends that we've had for a while that now introduces the concept that God loves them. For some, it may be recognizing that in the, in the provision of God, in the uncertainty of the world around us, God will provide, and we in turn can partner with those who have been called by God into areas of ministry that we cannot physically go, but as they go, we can help. Where will this take you? My prayer in preparation was that God would grab hold of our hearts to realize that His grace is sufficient, His love is never-ending, His presence is always real, and that in the place where God meets us, He invites us to come, to trust, to go and share, and so see Him